Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. This place is packed. Oh, man. Holy Spirit, I just welcome you. I welcome you into this time of your word. You're awesome. We just declare you are awesome. You're awesome. Holy Spirit, we love you. Welcome you. Welcome you into Greenville. Holy Spirit, I just put a target on Greenville and ask that you just show off for your own glory. Uh, We just pray for school systems, all educational systems, for our police force. I just bless Greenville in the name of Jesus with an unprecedented move of God. May they literally have to come study why Greenville is like a, a, a portal of heaven. Why is Greenville so blessed? I just feel so stirred to bless Greenville. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Chad. I was going to introduce my seven-year-old son, my little armor bearer, but he is with Jackson somewhere. And uh, gosh, I've known about outreach for five years now. I uh, was at a staff meeting. I was a part-time discipleship pastor and traveled full-time, uh, speaking at Baptist churches, going undercover and blowing them up with prophetic and spirit-filled living. It's the most fun I've ever had in my life, I promise. And uh, this guy walks in, and my, my journey, I actually wrote a book on my journey with clinical depression. For first 18, 20 years of my life, I was clinically depressed. I was on Xanax, Zoloft, Klonopin. Uh I was more tangled up than a Bill Nance taco box, as I say. And I had a radical encounter with Jesus, 5'11", 185 pounds, angel on one side, angel on the other, six-foot sword on the nine-foot guy. The Lord looked right at me and, and uh, said, I'm your healer, trust me. And I, just, I fell in love with him. And so I've, 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 I've done the religious, uh, depressed, miserable thing. And for the last 15 years, a lot of people call me strange. God doesn't call me strange. He thinks I'm normal. I just... I'm smitten with him. I love him. And uh, I'm always talking to him. I love that song. Where's Brandon's song? Where's Brandon? See, transported. There he is. Uh, I love that. When I breathe, I want to think about you. And so I remember having a toothpick because I'd eaten a breakfast and had some food stuck in my teeth. And this guy walked in. I didn't know if he was a skater. Uh... I don't know what he was. He was nothing like me. I looked like Presbyterian. Roy looked like he came out of his story. And uh, he had on a short sleeve shirt, and I was checking out his tattoo. This is no exaggeration. I stared at him for an hour and a half in that meeting. I did not take my eyes off of Roy, and I just kept doing this. And uh, God gave me, uh, I mean, a bunch of downloads. And that's five years ago, not five months ago. And to watch a lot of it come to pass is fun. And the great, the great part about Roy, and I sincerely mean this, I told him this five years ago before I met her, the best thing about Roy is who he married. And I really mean that. Would you just extend your hands towards your leadership this morning? Let's, let's pray for your leaders of this flock. In the name of Jesus, may you build such deep friendship with the Father that you operate on the highest level of wisdom. May a grace of peace, may this be too easy. May you read stories about other pastors struggling. May your yoke just get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. I bless you with peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. 
uh, before I jump in, I do have some words that I want to share this morning um, that he gave me during worship. Uh, Brandon, you spell the last name with an E-N or O-N? Uh, he showed me that in the past, he showed you some things about your life, and you thought they would come to pass a lot sooner than they did, which is the story of humanity. We're all that way. Don't feel like you're alone. That's all of us. And... Uh, You've been so humbled by him in a good way, and you've learned honor, and your whole soul's come at peace. But now in this season, right now, he desires to greatly elevate you, like tremendously elevate you. And yeah, I did not know, I had no idea that you wrote that song. I promise you. He gave me that word before you wrote the song. And he loves your purity. He also says you have a dry wit, and you're funny. You're real funny on the inside, but you, your face doesn't, but you have like an English dry wit. He really likes that. Uh, Trey, um, the Father showed me that you have, you know in Matthew, those boring verses where it says, and begat, and begat, and begat, and begat. Like when you do your Bible reading, it comes to Matthew 1, you're like, oh my gosh, get on with it. Well, the Lord convicted me of that, and I've been studying that. There's 14 generations from Abraham to Jesus, double blessings, crazy. Anyway, um, I saw a Daniel anointing from your father on you at a very early age and he showed me that he wants to uh, the father trusts you what most men step into in their 40s and 50s you're going to step into at a young age and you actually have a supernatural personality of maturity and it's a daniel thing and god's done a big daniel thing in your dad's life but it's actually begat begat it's coming down the lineage and uh it's also going to come upon your firstborn son it's just it's really odd how that works and so just believe it. Um, Dylan, uh, God says you're a Nazarite, and everything he's ever spoken over your life will come to pass in its nations. And he says you're a Nazarite. Um, where's Bob, the drummer? So I, my wife is over the worship at our church. I like music. I just don't know anything about it. I'm borderline. They laugh at me because, like, I respect it. I'm the guy that goes to Mona Lisa, and I'm checking my sports Twitter for who's winning the Giants game type thing. I respect it, but I'm not going to sit there and study and cry and roll around the floor with art. Uh, but God says that you're the quarterback of the worship team, and the drummer is like a quarterback. And that the purity of your heart, oil flows from the top down, the purity in you has gotten into the worship team. I don't know if I've, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I've never been to a church that I've traveled to where I've seen a more pure worship team ever. But what's fun is uh, you're the quarterback, and it's flowing from you. So now I'm even hearing him say, like, today, four of the best quarterbacks that have played in a long time are on TV. And so for him to say that about you, that's a, that's a tremendous honor. Um, Mindy, where's Mindy? I uh, saw you as a, a female koala bear mama bear, and God says <laughs> that he's about to grow you from a strong uh, worship ministry to the highest level of honor in the kingdom, which is being a mother. And I saw you mothering lots of women. And you have a very soft side about you, but a very nasty streak to you in a good way. And koala bears actually are the meanest bears. They are viciously mean. Um, the, the Lord says to get on your bad side is a bad idea. But to get on your good side is a good thing. And I saw you raising up lots of women. I don't play around with words. I laugh a lot. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Has been. I've been clinically depressed. I've done all that. Oh, no, no, no. It doesn't work. It's miserable. Um, uh, Kristen, I, 
I saw you, uh, there's a literal anointing on the CrossFit programming thing you have, and the Father sees it as your assignment. And here's what's interesting about that. The only indication of intimacy with the Father is not the way I worship. It's obedience. That's it. You think you're just helping people, and you are, but the Father doesn't see it that way. It's literally what he's asking you to do, and I saw that thing multiplying. And it wasn't necessarily in, uh, this is kind of weird, but have you ever seen the movie um, uh, War Games with Matthew Broderick back when we were kids? That big, y'all ever seen that movie? That big, uh, I, I, it's all about programming. God's giving you, you're like Intel inside, programming. And he's even going to show you that, that not all fitness is the same. Some people need different programming than others. And he literally is showing you, uh, you're a programmer. It's not just something you're finding to do. Jesus is literally asking you to do it, and you are. Um, one more thing. Where is Gladdy? Did she just walk back here? Gladdy? Uh, God just really enjoys Gladdy's presence. I mean, like, majorly. That, and that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. I prophesied over someone recently at our church that the Father wants... Hey, Gladdy. I just, I just had a word for you. The Father wants you to know He's crazy about you, and He loves your presence. Loves it. And He also said to quit beating yourself up. You have a tendency to go inward and be hard on yourself. He loves you a whole lot more than you think. When you meet Him one day, you're going to be in shock. He loves your presence. And I, y'all are going to think I'm irreverent. There are some people when they start to pray, the Father goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, know, you know the passage where it says, don't be like the publicans when they pray? I prophesied over someone two weeks ago at our church, the Father wants you to take a break from intercession. I'm serious. Because we can become heavier than God is. There are some people that are more spiritual than God. I'm not kidding. I take this so serious because the honor that I give Roy in my heart for the last five years. Not one word have I not really processed heavily in my notes. And the word that the Father has given me for outreach, I've never preached before, which I know makes other pastors really nervous. You bring somebody in, and they say, I've never preached this. Hope it goes well. You want to try my eggs? How do they taste? Uh, um, I'm not just flowing with it. I want to talk about something this morning, and that something is Nehemiah 8.10. I am not, I have no one in my mind, I have no words of knowledge, and this isn't uh, something that he's not pleased with, this is something that you guys already steward, and it's about to go to a much higher level. So this is not like, stop doing this and start doing this, you already are, but I think there's some more revelation the Father wants to give you on the topic and the idea of joy, not that you will become less serious but that we will become less heavy and more light. Because his yoke is... You know what that means in Greek? It means it's easy. His yoke is easy. And so what I want to do... I've got this Bible up here. I'm going to borrow it because I'm going to go through a lot of passages this morning. Um, I'm just going to preach it, which I never do it this way ever. I'm going to preach it the way I wrote it. This might be a first and maybe the last. Um, recently, I've asked the Father, would you show me how everything works? I have been fascinated with the how. He 
convicted me a few weeks ago. He said, Chad, it's not okay for you to teach someone to prophesy by asking them if they're an idiot, if they can't prophesy. Because the way that I'm wired is, what do you mean you can't prophesy? Just hear God. And then God showed me, Chad, you need to bring people along. You don't throw them into a speedboat and they've never been in a boat and just tell them to drive and go compete. You don't throw someone on PGA golf tour and say, just go compete. What's wrong with you? Just hear God. What's wrong with you? That's not a really good thing. Jesus is not wired that way. He's called a Rabboni, and he took a long time to teach his guys, three years. And so I repented, and I said, okay, I'm sorry. I said, will you show me how the prophetic works? And then I said, will you show me how everything works? Do you have a tissue or something? I woke up with a, I don't know what I got, but I need to, I need help. Um, and he said, okay, so here's my sermon this morning. I have not read this in another book. I did not fly out to Bethel and sleep on their sidewalk and try to get some impartation. I asked God, how, I have a passion to help people learn how to hear God. It's probably my biggest driving passion besides raising up people to go after their destiny. I really am fascinated by the king of the universe talks to us. I don't ever want to get to the point where that gets old. There's a young man here today. We, we went on a conference this past couple of days and we played prophetic ping pong. We sharpened each other's swords by listening to God. And I'm sitting there going, God's talking to us. And he's saying things about me he shouldn't know. If it doesn't stir you up to hear God, the first question you have to ask is, are you born again? If you are born again, it should, it should increase. It should. I was going to last two days. I've known this woman 22 years, been married 20 years. I walked in the house last night. It's like we've been married three minutes. I, there's a reason I sprayed polo cologne right on the back of my neck right before I walked in. When you're in love, it's not like, hey... Oh, you're beautiful. You want to? What do you want to do? Just, it's like, hey, babe. How's it going? That's the way it is with a father. The closer you get to the father, you ought to wake up every morning saying, "This is awesome." You ought to have the same revelation ten thousand times in your life that you can be friends with him. It's not okay to say, "Well, he's not mad at me anymore. I'm as righteous as Christ." That's first base. I want to hear him the way Jesus heard him. Either John 14, 12 is true or not. Any man believes in me, do the same things I've done. Even greater things will he do. What did he do? He sits at a well, Samaritan woman comes, he shouldn't be there in the first place, and he prophesies over her. How did Jesus do that? He didn't do it out of his anointing. Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself. He became like us. I want to operate the way Jesus did. I want to read people's minds. And you know, to the degree in which the Father will trust you, he will give you more to steward. To the degree he trusts you, he'll share his resources, he'll share his mind. It's one thing to do intercession. It's a better thing to think like God before you go into your intercession times. The most powerful thing you'll ever do in your life is to begin to think like God. And so he said, okay, he said, I'm going to give you seven things. This is the first one. And I'm going to teach you how to steward them to help people walk in the prophetic. So this is number one. All right. Have you ever noticed that when people come back from IHOP, when they spend time there, they tend to be very, very serious? I think in that, there's a lot of awesomeness in that. Mike Bickle's an amazing man. 
You ever notice when people go to Mozambique and they come back and they act like Heidi? I think there's a lot of awesome in that. You ever notice that when people hang around other people for too long, they will begin to take on their personalities? I'm not saying that it's evil. This is embarrassing, but my nose is running. It's probably the devil, but I want to preach a good sermon, and so give me a second here. When Dan Moeller came here a couple years ago, Dan has such a message of righteousness. Since that couple of years, what I've noticed is a lot of times people quote his theology more than they know the God that Dan knows. If we're not careful, we, were, we will become parasites. And uh, you read John Piper's sermons, David Platt's sermons, and you feel guilty to shop at a Walmart, and you literally start taking on their literal mannerisms. And I'm not saying that's evil. But I want to tell you the way God's wired. God told me this morning in worship. He goes, I like KFC more than Bojangles. He said, why? He said, because KFC is an original, and I don't like anything that's not original. There's not one thumbprint that's the same in the world. He wants you to find out who you are in his eyes. He wants you to honor your spouse, and there's principles that drive us. He wants his own restaurant in you. He wants his own recipe in you. God's the type of person where he loves principles. He just doesn't like copycats. He doesn't like that at all. Because what happens is these people that go through these journeys with God, they get to know God, and then we start to celebrate them as much as we do the Jesus that they're following. I honor Dan. I honor Mike Bickle. I can name the other thousand. I honor Bill. I am uh, going to film with Sean Bowles in a few weeks. I honor Sean. I don't want to live off of Sean's gift like some parasite. I don't even want an impartation from him. I'm just sitting there saying, if Sean Bowles can hear God like that, well, then so can I. And that's not me with a, uh, a spirit that hates authority. I love authority. I'm fully submitted to two men in my life. Me and my family, we are. The church is. I have an overseer. This isn't a spirit of lawlessness. I'm just saying, inside the context of strong principles, God loves it when we, when we are an original. He loves an original. He loves it. One of the ways to short circuit and guarantee that you're going to have a hard time hearing him is that if you become a parasite and lean more onto the spirituality of someone else than yourself. Be you. Just be you. Walk in purity. Walk in integrity. Walk in character. Be clean. I'm not saying walk in sin and be you and say, that's just me, bro. I'm not saying that. One of our greatest challenges is to get our identity from Elohim, which is the plural form of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So here it is, an important question. Where do you truly get your identity? Be honest. Where does your theology come from? Where does your ideology come from? Are you a parasite? Get real this morning. Here we go. A common theme in my life is that people around me in close circles enjoy being around me because I like to have fun, but when it comes to going after God... One of the gifts that God gave me early on in life is a lightheartedness, and I love humor, and I love laughing, and I love joy. If we associate heaviness with God, you'll miss him 99 times out of 98. God is very, very serious, but he also has a light heart. God doesn't need Starbucks to get going in the morning. God doesn't get migraines. God's anger is not the type of anger that you're probably used to. In the core of his DNA is one word. Everybody say joy. joy. 
he carries joy in the midst of seeing all the calamity in the world. It never leaves him. And I'm saying if it never leaves them, it should never leave us. Let me, before we go through a bunch of passages, please understand I am not associating joy with being irreverent or weird humor. Uh, when I got a call about a suicide case in our church, I didn't go in there laughing. I'm defining joy as this. It's really weird. In the Greek and Hebrew, I wonder why God made me take so many years of those languages. The best word that we have to compare to joy is the word rejoicing. So when I say joy, it's rejoicing. It's not being extroverted. It's Worship is an expression of whatever's at the center of my heart. So this morning, if we sang those words, but we looked all somber and we didn't move around, it's not joy. It's weird. There, when you get so full of God... You're out, you can't hide it anymore. And I'm going to say this. When you get to heaven, Jesus is not as uh, quiet as we think. He is zealous. Okay, here we go. Let's go to Luke 2.10. Actually, go to Matthew 11.30. Matthew 11.30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If the Lord's yoke is easy and burden is light, when is the last time someone came up to you and said this, when I'm around you, I feel lighter? When I'm around you, I feel refreshed. I've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation when I fell in love with him because I hated him for so long because I thought he killed my granddad and I thought he was the reason of my depression. I'm telling you, God told me one time I was brain damaged. He had to fix me. Um, Genesis Revelation, you know what the story of the Messiah is? He steps into chaos and brings shalom. I just described the whole Bible to you. Here's the million dollar question. Do you? Or do you step into shalom and bring chaos? <laughs> I'm asking myself these questions. Let's go to Luke 2.10. This is right off the bat. This is very interesting to me. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. If I'm not joyful to some degree, I need to honestly entertain whether or not am I born again or am I connected to the vine. I don't mean this in the wrong way. Please, just hear me out. Seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second word? Everybody say joy. If I'm not rejoicing, I'm not connected to God. Ask yourself the million dollar question. What was his coming out party in the New Testament? Now think about it. The Jews had their covenant cutting God on their hands and didn't know it. The one that split the Red Sea was in the flesh now. Go to John 6. Holy Spirit showed me this very early this morning. He said, Chad, you've read this with the wrong tone your whole life. There's two ways to read John 6. Excuse me, John 2. John 2. I have never seen this until this morning. This wasn't off of preachingtoday.com or whatever. The third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, this is how I've always read it. Go back, please. They have no more wine. A.W. Tozer says, whatever you think about when you think about God, I'll tell you everything about yourself. This is how the Holy Spirit showed me this. The Lord was playful with his mother. Watch this. They have no more wine, Mom. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus said. My hour hasn't come. He's playing with her. Next verse. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Go back. I want to read that one more time. I messed up the first. <laughs> Sorry. Got a head cold. I'm starving. <laughs> Can't see out of my left eye. Let's start over. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, this is how the Lord showed it to me. Hey, son, they don't have any more wine. You know what she's saying right here? I know what you're about to do, and I know you can fix this. They've got no more wine. Watch this. Why you involve me? You know what I was taught to read it as growing up? Woman, stay in your place. Why do you involve me? I'm God. I'm important. Be quiet. Why you involve me? My hour's not come yet. She smiles. Hey, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> the God of the universe read it to me that way this morning. Here's the whole point. His first miracle is coming out party. Doesn't heal anyone. A Jewish wedding lasts a long time. It's full of joy and rejoicing. They didn't need any more. He's the most joyful, celebrated person ever. You know what the biggest metaphor of the kingdom of God is from Genesis to Revelation? You ready for this? I love this. I, I like to identify the, the religious spirit by just saying this because he just shakes. Feasting. Genesis to Revelation. Feasting. This verse, go to Luke. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. I knew I couldn't stick to it. Go to Luke 7.34. Luke 7.34. Would you read? Just listen to this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Before that, he goes, John came fasting, and you said he had a demon. Now I come eating and drinking. Time out. Time out. If you would have followed Jesus around while he was here, he'd make you way more nervous than he does now. Because the paradigms you've built in your mind have established perhaps some doctrine, even some methodology of the God of the universe that's not even true. Do you know that I can be passionate about a God that doesn't even exist and I create him in my mind and that's not the way he is? I'm being honest now. When's the last time you've been called a drunkard and a glutton and hanging out with sinners? If we're not careful, the goal of our lives is to go to Chick-fil-A and never say another cuss word. Let me, let me say this. Is your spirituality defined by the nine things you don't do? Or are you actually giving Jesus fishes and loaves of bread to do something with? If we're not careful, we feel more noble because we just go to Chick-fil-A. And my kid has to go to a Christian university. If we're light, we probably should be going into darkness. Now, let me just go ahead and clarify because I just feel like I need to. It might be fear, man. Who knows? 
I'm not saying go get drunk, go be a glutton, uh, uh, not walking character. My wife, Wendy Norris, five foot three, full of fire. My kids watch a a cartoon with something sketchy in it. A cartoon. She will stomp in there, hit Pauls, and start preaching through judges at them. <laughs> if you think I'm kidding, you don't know her. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what we do. Just be joyful. You wine bibber because God's a glutton. No, uh-uh, not saying that. I've never said that. But there ought to be something about me that stirs the religious spirit to agitation on a daily basis. I wasn't going to share this. My wife and I went through a year and a half season of spiritual warfare that I just I thought was going to take us out of here. No affairs, no addiction, no abuse. We couldn't be in the same room. And God showed me one night what it was, and I saw demons everywhere. I prayed against it. I went after it. I didn't know what to do. I was scared. Someone paid $5,000 for us to go to Colorado to go to therapy. It made it worse. I'm serious now. I literally thought, I never even told Roy and Carl how bad it got. I literally thought, this is going to take me out of ministry. We, we couldn't even agree that this is a, what is this? This is a Kleenex. <laughs> I took a walk with Jesus, and I started crying. I said, I gave you my life at an early age. I'm at the end of my rope. And this is what I heard audibly in my left ear. Go sit in your backyard and stop, start laughing and read uh, Nehemiah 8.10. I go in my backyard. I didn't want to laugh. I wanted to cry. And I started to laugh. But I had to make it myself. Five seconds turns into ten seconds. And I was like, this is, I've lost my mind. <laughs> and then something came on me. And I realized what I was doing. I was literally laughing in the face of the enemy. And I started to rejoice. And it came bubbling out of me. And I started to scream. And I started to yell. And I couldn't stop laughing. That day, it turned. And it's now not only gone back to normal, it's gone to a place that we've never known. Go to Nehemiah 8.10. Sometimes you don't need to go into your intercession chapel and be serious and weep. Sometimes you need to go buy the most expensive piece of steak you can find. And in the presence of all of your enemies, sit up to his feasting table and just rejoice when it doesn't look like anything's turning for you. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I, I literally teach how to grieve. I think grieving is important. But if we want to be in the radical middle, and that's who Jesus is, word and spirit, there are seasons that your biggest breakthrough is not going to come through grieving. It's going to come through rejoicing, even as the bullets are flying. I cooked my wife a huge meal that night. I didn't go on some sermon about this is what God's doing. I didn't prophesy. I just started rejoicing. Kind of reminds you of a principle. Enter his courts with grieving and somberness and seriousness. 
Oh, God, I don't know why you made me. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm doing You enter his course and you say, man, if you never gave me another thing, you've given me everything. I got something to rejoice about through all time. You are awesome. You are huge. You are big. And then you start laughing. And then you start laughing. You know what happens? When you rejoice and when you carry a posture of rejoicing, he literally dispatches angels to fight warfare on your behalf. I'm going to make this so simple, you have to hire a Clemson fan to help you misunderstand it. Are you ready? <laughs> Listen to me. Gratitude and rejoicing are two of the biggest weapons in the kingdom. Then do it. I'm, uh, I'm reading Dave Ramsey right now. I'm just in a season of my life, God's recalibrating everything. I love what Dave says. Finance is about 85% behavior, 15% knowledge. The kingdom of God, you don't need millions of hours of teaching on this stuff just say god show me what it really means to carry around joy it doesn't mean an introvert goes into an extrovert and all of a sudden you feel like you have license to listen to andrew dice clay i'm not saying that that's not what i'm saying joy is is defined as this i rejoice only two times when the sun is up and when the sun is down if you do it as manipulation, it never works, and, and it makes God sick to his stomach, if that's even possible. But when you just say, you are good, you are good, you are good. Pat Barrett is like a little brother to me in the kingdom, and we were in San Angelo, Texas, no, uh, College Station, Texas years ago. And I said, Pat, you want to go into the Father's presence? He said, yeah. I said, okay. I said, Father, we come into your presence. Cinnamon fills the room. A wind starts blowing from the wall opposite wall of the air conditioning unit he gets thrown back onto his bed and he is freaking out and i'm screaming you are good you are good you are awesome and pat would just happen to write a song called you're a good good father (laughs) gratitude and rejoicing and joy is a weapon i don't have anybody in my mind this isn't a warning i'm just saying don't worship a god that you think is one way when he's not that way. I asked him the other day, what am I going to do when I first get to heaven? He said, you're going to have the biggest feast you've ever had in your life. And I said, that makes sense. You want to know why? John 15, three parables. A joyful woman, a joyful servant, and a joyful father. You don't go into his presence going, hello, father. One night, years ago, I was being... I, as serious as I possibly could be, my wife was out of town with my, our three kids. No, two kids. Jack wasn't born yet. And I lit about seven or eight candles in my bedroom. I was by myself. I was so serious because I take my relationship with God very seriously. And I lit some candles. <laughs> I don't know. And I got on my knees. And I spent 10 minutes basically telling him what I hated about myself. But I wasn't, I was serious. I was hungering for him. Do you know what he said to me? I, I, I'm, I mean, hand on my grandmother, my hero. This is what she said. This is what God said to me. God said to me, what are you doing? There is a, a prophet in the fivefold that I'm mentoring, he's in South Atlanta. His gift is frightening. His name is Micah Ushry. He pastors a church in South Atlanta. His prophetic gift 
is on a level that you rarely see. Would you like to know what I prophesied over him last week? And he became emotional. I said, and he know, he'll listen to this. I said, you're in a Zach Brown season. And if you will listen to the Zach Brown band, there's an anointing coming on your life because right now you become more serious than God is. And there's a lightness coming onto you. And God has sent me into your life not to teach you anything other than how to relax and enjoy Him. Tears. And his wife is looking at me. You, you would have thought that I've been talking to Lindsay for a long time. There's some people that need to become more serious. There's some people that need to learn the art of rejoicing and joy. And here's why I'm very slow to demit, dismiss that this is outward. Nehemiah 8.10 says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Those are outward expressions of what's inside of me. My joy and rejoicing should not just be hidden in my one-on-one encounters with God. When I walk into a room, someone ought to say, that guy just carries rejoicing. I've been depressed. I can talk about it. You want to talk about it? I can talk about all you want to. But you know what? When you're set free, you're set free. Whether you're set free from drugs, I don't care what you're set free from. When you find joy, it's very hard to go back to the other side. It's like that blind guy says, I don't know what to tell you. I once was blind, now I'm this. This is my story. I once was depressed. And now I laugh a lot. I find joy in lots of things. And you should too. Some of you need to put your journals down. You need to take your family on a 14-day vacation. The thing I love about Sean Bowles, and you guys, if you don't know him, he has a very high gift. You know where he gets most inspired? Disneyland in California. The father showed me there's theme parks in heaven one day. That, that really goes over well in churches. Let's go to Mark 2, 18 through 20. Mark 2, 18 through 20. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. By the way, I do believe in fasting. Don't swing this to the other pendulum so far. Just get in that radical middle. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? <laughs> Jesus answered, well, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as we have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and that day they will fast. When they were with the king, everywhere he went was a party. He can't help himself. Go to... Um, Let's go to John 15, 11. I love this. I've been studying this for a while. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. The angels talk about joy in Luke 1. When Elizabeth is pregnant with John, he leaps for joy. In Mary's song that she sings in Luke 1, she sings about joy. So what is joy? It's a constant rejoicing. And to the most extroverted and the most introverted person in here, it has to come out. This has nothing to do with your personality. When I'm watching the worship team lead this morning, they can't help themselves. If you are like, God's good all the time. (laughs) 
So in the Roman world, I read Bill O'Reilly's book, uh, Killing Jesus, which had nothing to do with Jesus, had everything to do with the Roman Empire. The Father sovereignly put Jesus at the base of the most evil empire the world's ever seen in Rome. Well, there were these people groups called the Celtics. A lot of our worship songs come from the Celtics, and the Celtics lived their life this way. They would travel in bunches, they would go into another community, and they live life with such a celebratory and rejoicing and fun atmosphere, they never had to evangelize because people would come to them and say, what, what is so different about you? They weren't drunkards and gluttons, but they appeared to be on the outside. They found the side of Jesus and one of his attributes that they lived out. There ought to be something about you that is so magnetic that has nothing to do with your personality. Perhaps it's not a personality thing. Perhaps someone inside of me is so beaming, other people are like, there's just something about her. You ought to be a magnet. I'm telling you. It it shouldn't be like, okay, I just got to make myself get a word of knowledge for a waitress at, at, at the restaurant. It ought to just be like, get so stirred up and rejoicing with God that whoever's in front of you is a target. They're in trouble. They ought to be in trouble every time they're around you. You ought to just be a party. When's the last time someone told, said, you're just kind of fanatical. What we call fanatical, he calls normal. You understand what awaits us on the other side? Oh my gosh. If your life is falling apart, rejoice in where you're going to be forever. All those jokes about Peter standing in line, you having to sign a sheet, those things are ridiculous. You're going to get there and you're going to be like, glory to God. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to share this. Five weeks ago at a nine o'clock service at Bridgeway, uh, I just said, you're awesome. You're awesome. As soon as I did, someone in the spirit hit me in my belly as hard as they could. Now, I grew up Baptist, okay? <laughs> I didn't grow up around all this. I get hit in the stomach, I double over, and I see into heaven for four straight minutes. I cry so hard, my glasses are soaked. Two people asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't even hardly minister. I saw people everywhere. I saw Crystal River going up to a throne. I saw a literal blue angel staring at me. Yes, I just said that. I saw people dancing and banners. If we don't like a live services down here, we're going to have to go through therapy for about 100 years before you can even worship up there. I'm telling you, I could not believe what I was seeing. And I, I didn't ask to see it. I don't take trips to heaven. I don't teach on that. I just said, God, you're awesome. He couldn't help himself. If you'll carry joy, man, I've never said this. Listen to me. If you'll carry joy, he's attracted to you. If you don't, he's not. notice that some people who are so overly serious with God it's like they never get a breakthrough you can fast so much that you have to run around the shower to get wet and get no revelation <laughs> I um, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I found out that I wasn't dirty anymore that I was clean as Jesus the stuff that Dan preaches when I stumbled on that, I'm just thinking, I'm as clean as you? Second Thessalonians 5.23, spirit, soul, body? I'm as clean as you? Colossians 1.21 and 22? 
I was once alienated, hostile in mind, performing in evil deeds, but now he's reconciled me? Presented me before the Father, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. I'm a holy? I was riding down a 290 in Spartanburg, and I pulled the car over. And this is when I was realizing God really does speak. And I said, I know you think I'm as clean as Jesus, but what do you think about me? This is what I heard. (laughs) We think you're funny. (laughs) He dismantled my theology from that moment until now. A lot of people have a hard time taking me seriously because it's like, yeah, it's irreverent. Let me tell you what happened at Voice of the Apostles last year. I wasn't even ministering. I go walking in. I was starving. I'm typically hungry. <laughs> and I walk in. There are 10,000 people there. Over to my left, uh, the father says, go sit down those two chairs. There are people everywhere. There's these two chairs there. I wasn't ministering. So I walk over there. This, this whole thing lasted two minutes. I sit down. This guy named Jesse comes walking up. He looks like he's about to drop dead. This is exactly how it went down, and he put this thing on Facebook. You can call him and ask him. Because I don't want you to think, well, if you're too lighthearted with God, he may not use you in power. I sat down in the chair. He walks up. I said, you look like death. (laughs) He stares at me, and I said, you came to this conference to get healed, and you're going to get healed before you even go into the room. He never asked my name. He didn't know my name. We were done. Remember Jesus and the blind man? Sometimes you don't need 30 minutes of introductions. Just see the problem, get the demon out, move on. He walks in. I said, you have Lyme's disease. It's incurable. You also are stalling on your visa. You and your wife have a call, and you're with the missions organization. And I named the country in Africa. That's going to come through six months from right now, and you're about to get healed right now. Matter of fact, you're already being ministered. I haven't even touched you. He starts crying. Then I stand up, and I saw that it was a demon on him. There's nothing incurable in God's eyes. That's silly. And I said, whatever's been bothering you, Jesse, I command this thing to go. I called it out, and you may never come back to him. I forgot his name the next day. You know, a lot of, a lot of times, if it's not about us, then I don't need to... <laughs> His story, his story comes out, and I was like, wow. The whole point is this. Why did Jesus tell them to go into each town and take nothing with them? Because it's an outward symbol of what our hearts are supposed to be. You're not supposed to carry much in here. If you're rejoicing all the time, the bad stuff has a hard time landing and taking root in your heart. Being lighthearted is not being irreverent or immature. It's the highest form of maturity. Do you know that people who are really serious all the time, serious is not the right word, that's not the right word, who are heavy all the time, really are not trusting in the Father to take the load from us. I've been there, done that, could write the book. Oh my heavens, I was on staff at a mega church in Birmingham. It was a a, a hyper-Calvinist church. Been there, done that. I was heading down the reform camp. I went to the most reformed seminary in the world, Beeson Divinity School. (laughs) You want to talk about heavy? I mean, I could write a book that long on the depravity of man. Small problem, I got an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus tells me I'm as clean as he is. And I'm going, this is going to be awkward. 
Uh, I just got a $100,000 seminary. You sent me there for four years. Now you're telling me I'm clean and blind eyes are going to open? Yes. Told me her name and it happened six months after that. <laughs> How, ask yourself this question. Did Jesus accomplish everything out of his anointing or did he accomplish everything out of his own principle in John 15, 1 through 5? Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself. He abided in the Father so much that the Father was able to work through him. You want to know one of the key principles was? He rejoiced. He was light. He was joy. Even, look at this, Hebrews 12, 2. I, I just about ran through sheetrock when I saw this. Look at this. Look at, I'm serious when I say this. He bleeds in the garden. And he goes, I don't want to do this. And he goes, not my will, but yours. In, in the next breath, um, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The garden was harder for the Lord than the cross itself. As soon as the father said, no, my baby boy, this is what I want. He said, then I rejoice in it. Paul and Silas are rejoicing in shackles. And it wasn't like this. Well, I just have to pray because they're going to write a book called the Bible one day and I guess it just needs to seem like we're happy. <laughs> you know what happened? They rejoiced. Pull it up. They rejoiced so hard that when they got free, Paul didn't want to leave. I've been through tragedy. I've been through heartbreak. I've been through suffering. I was suicidal. I was too afraid to kill myself, too afraid to live. I overheard my wife on the phone when I was in the fetal position in my kitchen asking my brother what they were going to do. Didn't know if I was going to a mental institution. Before you think that I'm lighthearted and irreverent, perhaps I've just learned joy and lightheartedness in the midst of trials. Through joy, the world has no hold on you anymore. Do you know in the kingdom, worry is as serious as witchcraft? Well, that's just ridiculous. No, it's not. God says that unbelief is on the same level as witchcraft. And in the kingdom, worry and anxiety is you saying, you don't trust Papa. And Jesus said, this is what you want. This is going to be brutal, but if this, is, this is to please you. I, somebody asked me, how long will you be at Bridgeway? I have no idea. To be honest, and I'm serious when I say this, I have to be reminded I'm the lead pastor of a church. I don't go after God for a church. This isn't my home. He's given me a body to shepherd. He's waiting for me on the other side. Every day is only one thing. I just want to know you. And he goes, if you want to know me, if you want to be friends with me, then take on my personality. And Chad, I am joyful. I am light. Is this a good sermon? Say something. Uh, let's just wrap up. Um, I'm going to wrap it right here and then do some ministry time. Um, let's go to Philippians 3, 4, and 1 Thessalonians just to further my brothers and sisters. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at it. It's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Go to the next verse, the next Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Go to 1 Thessalonians. That's a good verse right there. 
if you struggle with memorizing scripture, start there. If you have to get an accountability partner to memorize that one, Father, I thank you for outreach. I thank you for the plans of outreach. I just thank you for your plans for this city. You're good. So if in the natural realm, everything tells you that you should not be rejoicing right now because it's so hard that you have revelation this morning to come in the opposite spirit and to rejoice right in the face of the demonic. Stand up, I'm going to pray for you right now. If you're in a tough spot, but you want to rejoice right in this face. Will you just reach your hand straight up to heaven if you're standing up? In the name of Jesus, may you grow even today with how powerful it is to perhaps sit in your backyard and to rejoice right in this face. I bless you with such revelation on the goodness of God that you would rejoice in the middle of the rubble. In the middle of the rubble. For those of you standing, I just command these dry bones to come back to life through the principle of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If you're standing up with your hands, just very quietly between you and Him, I want you to tell Him how good He is right now. Just rejoice in Him. Only if the ones that are standing up. Just rejoice in Him right now. It's getting a little breezy in here. The angels want to do ministry. If If you're with your hands up out loud, not to yourself. Man, there's such a sweet presence of God in this house. Before I turn it over to Roy for ministry time and let him lead this, I want to tell you a story about a 76-year-old man named Jack Hancock. He's my grandfather in the spirit. He's an overseer of our church. I was at a conference with him this week. And I noticed something about him. I've noticed it before, but I noticed this weekend. thousand men there. He laughs more than any man there. Tongue talking. By the way, you know what his job was for 40 years? Oral surgeon. It's kind of odd to think oral surgeon being really happy. You don't want him jabbing in your mouth, just rejoicing in the Lord always. God is serious, but He's not heavy the way we are. If you're carrying heaviness, give it to the Father. Before I turn it over to Roy... May the wind be always at your back, Outreach Church. And may you only have one goal till the end. Build deep friendship with the Father. May it drive you borderline crazy. May you not be able to not think about Him. I bless this house as Abba's house in Jesus' name. Amen.